0: Hallelujah. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for leading us in communion this morning. God bless you. You can be seated today. Well, what a weekend it's been already. Yesterday, we celebrated the funeral of our friend and our brother in Christ, an active participating member of this congregation, Rocky Donahue, that went to be with the Lord. You know, I think the thing that stood out to me most and The whole funeral outside of the reading of the Word of God was a story that Pastor Rick had shared with me. Rocky, as you know, was a former pro football player, and um, Rick asked him one day over lunch, he says, Rocky, you've lived every boy's dream. You've been a pro football player. He says, what does that compare to? And Rocky looked at Pastor Rick over lunch and said, you know, nothing, nothing in life compares to the night I gave my heart and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And to think about that statement, that Rocky's faith and his trust and his gratitude for God's amazing grace, what an easy, what a wonderful, joyful funeral it was to preach because we know Rocky is not dead. I was reading it again this morning in my devotions where Jesus said you err. God is not the God of the dead. He is God of the living. And in that instance, he was referring to, you know, to Moses and Abraham and Jacob. And friends, I want you to know this morning to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's one of the many, many verses of scripture that Rocky had highlighted in his Bible. My topic today is finding Jesus in a COVID world. And if you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube, we're so glad that you're joining with us. You can find our notes. If you haven't already, you can download our app from Woodland Church Mobile. It's on the App Store, at uh, the Apple Store, and the Google Store as well. And you can follow along. Also, all the lyrics to the courses we sing are there as well. But I get asked a question quite frequently during this COVID crisis we're in. It has to do with the message that messages I have preached for the previous two weeks, keeping faith in a COVID world, growing faith in a COVID world. But today I would like to talk to you about finding faith or finding Jesus in a COVID world. And the question that I have been asked by quite a few people is, Pastor, where is God in a world like this? Where is God in all of the crisis and the suffering that's going on globally? I've had believers ask me, I've had people who are not believers ask me that question. I've had people ask me that from all walks of life that you could imagine. Where do you find God? And even before, even before this started, people would ask me occasionally, where is God in all the war and all the evil and the suffering? And that's a topic that I would like to address with you this morning. We had a marvelous first service today. And um, so, I want to go to a passage that you may look at it first and go, wow, where is Pastor Clanton going with this? But let me just kind of give you a little bit of a background and a setting with the story that this that we're going to read from the Bible. Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, they're on their, they're coming back from the Passover celebration. And it's very important that you keep in mind that this is Passover. So... If you don't mind, stand with me one more time out of respect for the word of the Lord. If you're at home, would you stand too out of reverence and respect for the word of God as I read this morning from Luke chapter 2 and verse 42. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival or Passover as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, another city. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was 12, don't forget that. He's going to be 13. That's very important to the story. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. It's not that Mary and Joseph were negligent, but families traveled in community. And so they just figured that he was with his cousins. He was with some other members of the family. The men would walk with men and talk, men talk, and women would talk with, walk with women and talk, women talk. And then Kids would talk about whatever they wanted to talk about, and so they would, this is why you know, they didn't miss him, but his parents didn't miss him at first because they, was, he, they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he did show up that evening, they started looking for him among relatives and friends, and when they couldn't find him, they, Mary and Joseph, went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, imagine missing your child for three days. Some of you may know that experience. Some of you watching may be going through that experience right now, but three days later, they finally find him in the busy city of Jerusalem, and they discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions, and all who heard Jesus, 12 years old now, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father, Joseph, remember Joseph is his adopted father. Mary conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, which is why we talk about the virgin birth of Jesus. Son, your mother and your father and I have been frantic searching for you, but why did you need to search? He asked. Now, notice the answer of Jesus. Didn't you know that I must be in my father, the word changes, his heavenly father, I must be in my father's house. Now, right here is where the King James Version actually gets it correct. It's it's a word that, the accurate word is house, but it's like being about the business of the house. It's like someone that's in charge of the house, managing the affairs of the house. So, in the King James Version, when it says, I must be about my father's business business. He's talking about the father's home. So that's, it's an accurate translation, but I want to bring that in so you get the full gist of what he's saying. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house attending to his business, but they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them. Now notice this, and Jesus was obedient to Mary and Joseph. He submitted to them, just like God calls us to submit to him and to submit to to one another, Jesus submits, and his mother stored all of these things in her heart. And notice the consequence of Jesus's or the fruit of Jesus's submission: he grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and all the people. Heavenly Father, right now we need the anointing of Your Holy Spirit to help us fully understand and to grasp what we're reading about and why You leave this for us. Not for curiosity about the boyhood life of Jesus, but Lord, for our understanding about finding Jesus in our world today. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning, and if you're still standing at home, you can be seated as well. Boy, what a fascinating, fascinating passage of scripture to read. I mean, as a dad, I, I can kind of relate. I don't know if you, any of you have ever left any of your children behind. And if you have, don't raise your hands. But in the first service, there were people immediately started raising their hand and nodding. But I remember we got home one day, and the phone rang. And this was back when we still had a landline. And <clears throat> the phone rang, and I picked up the phone and answered. And says, Dad? And I said, Andrew? He goes, You left me at the church. I go, I thought you were with your mom. He goes, she thought I was with you, and so I turned around, and I came back to pick up my son, and I'm sure that's happened to some of us before where we thought our, our son or our daughter was with somebody else. As a, as a youth pastor, and when I used to take kids all over the country and the world, I would always do a head count, and I will never forget on one particular trip, I had taken a group of students tubing on Itzatutkney Springs in Florida, one of the places that when you visit, you're just convinced there is a God. It's a beautiful cold water spring, and and after we had tubed all day and swam all day, we loaded up the bus, and one of our youth sponsors did a head count, said, Pastor Dennis, everybody's here. I told our bus driver, let's go. We got down the highways a little bit, and one of the kids came up front and says, Pastor Dennis, so-and-so got off the bus after the head count. I said, how'd they get off? says, they went out the back exit, and so we had to turn around. All the kids were moaning and groaning. All the adults were groaning. There's no cell phone to call parents and to tell them we're going to be late, you know, getting there. We go back. Just be honest. Have you ever wanted to smack somebody else's kid before? <laughs> you know, have you just ever wanted to drop kick them into next week and So you you pick them up, you bring them back, everybody's waiting at the church. This particular girl thinks the funniest thing in the world, I convey with all the sobriety and sternness that I can to her parents, how it's convinced, how it's inconvenienced to everyone, hoping they're going to smack her, but instead they just laugh about it and she was spoiled rotten and she's probably watching this today because she's still one of my good friends. God did an amazing work of grace in her life. But the point I'm making is sometimes it's just easy to forget one of your kids. And so don't be real harsh on Mary and Joseph, but I think we can look at this and we can just question some of our assumptions. And some of our assumptions a lot of times are this, is we leave church, just like Mary and Joseph left the temple, and we forget Jesus, we leave church and we forget Jesus. It's very possible for you to walk out of this service today and to get so busy with your, your affairs of life, to get so busy with the things of this world, your worries, your concerns, your job, your household. Some of you may be going to buy groceries this afternoon. Some of you may be going on a picnic. Some of you may be going home to do your weekly planning. Some of you may be going to the hospital or nursing home to look in through the window to check on a loved one. And it's so easy to leave church and forget Jesus. And Mary and Joseph left the temple just assuming Christ was with them. I know that Jesus has promised to be with us always, even into the end of the earth. But it's very important that we remember we can grow cold and we can grow distant to that promise. And it's why in my life, I want to, first of all, I want to walk close with my family in Christ Daily. I want to walk close with my family in Christ daily, and I kind of shrunk two points into this, so let me make it clear what I'm saying. I want to walk close with Becky and our four children and our three grandchildren. I want to walk close with them daily. It's why I talk with still our grown kids almost every day. It's why I pray for them every day. It's why Becky and I pray together every day. It's why it's so important we want to walk in faith daily. I want to know my kids' condition, so even my grown children, I ask them, how's your walk with Christ? How's your faith? Are you growing? Are you facing any challenges? Are you facing any problems? Because I understand how easy it can be to become cold and distant to Christ. I want to be one of those that's always throwing some wood on the fire. You know, the only thing I love about winter in Michigan, and I'm being real, real honest here, so for those of you that are snow lovers and cold lovers, you forgive me. The only thing I love about winter in Michigan is a fireplace. And I know with the fire, I'm pretty good. Aren't I, Pastor Rick? You've been over a lot of times. When we need to add another log to that fire, when we need to bank it up, and with Pastor Mark and Kyra over to the house, Pastor Mark hogs the fireplace. He's right there in front of it to get the warmth of it because you want to keep that fire going. And there's a verse of scripture in the Proverbs that says that where there's no wood, where there's no fuel, the fire goeth out. And So it's really important that we feed our faith. So I want to walk with my family I want to walk close with you. It's why we do the daily prayer updates. It's why we do the prayer meetings on Saturday nights. It's because I, we want to encourage your faith, to grow in faith and walk in faith. And can I say thank you for so many of you have been sharing this. People in the community are actually coming up to me, and they're watching the daily prayer updates because you're sharing those. And let me encourage you to continue to do that. The Bible says that when Jesus was 12, they attended the festival passover as usual as usual i hope that you're going to make it a family habit in when this covid crisis is over Not to stay home and watch on Facebook and YouTube, but you'll make it a habit to be in church with your family. You'll make it a habit to come and worship together. It's great to worship online during this COVID crisis and to use what we have, but it has been wonderful, hasn't it, to be gathering outside under the tent and under the shade trees and worshiping and taking communion there. It's been wonderful to be able to come back in on rainy days like today and and to be able to worship. But friends, it's important that we include our worship time together if there's anything i admire about my jewish friends and my muslim friends it's how they teach their children It's how they encourage their children to grow it's how they are sure to have them in synagogue and in the service but it makes me recognize something else about my life with christ and i've been a pastor long enough i believe i can say this without being demeaning it causes me to recognize something about Christians' lives, that when I'm inconsistent in my faith, I need to go back to my first love. When I'm inconsistent in my faith, I need to go back to my first love. You know, Garrison Keeler told a story one time. He says, God should have told Adam and Eve, if he's only gonna give them one commandment, he shouldn't have said, don't eat the fruit of the tree He said he should have told them, don't eat the snake. He said, because everybody stays away from snakes. But by saying, don't eat of the fruit of the tree, he gave us the choice to be tempted by something beautiful. And you know, sometimes on a Sunday morning, according to a survey that was recently done in Britain this past week, I read this in the news, when people were talking about what made a perfect Sunday, in their survey, nothing showed up about being in church. It's the reason that in Western Europe and in Great Britain, they're called a post-Christian civilization today. It's the reason that when Becky and I were working in Europe, that we saw churches that were being used, used, packed out for occult gatherings and, and where witches and warlocks who believed in that sort of stuff were gathering to practice the dark arts inside of churches that had once been dedicated to the glory of God. You see, when churches become comfortable in their faith, they begin to get comfortable in the beautiful facilities like we have here. They begin to get comfortable in the fact that there's a program and there's ministries. They begin to have confidence in ourselves. I came to Jesus in the early 70s. I committed my life to Christ when I was 16 years old. I have I have shared with you before, I was bitter, I was struggling with a lot of issues, but I crossed the line and committed my life to Jesus. But what was happening in America was something that I had never seen in church before. And I'm not knocking the church I grew up in. They were sweet people and they were good people. But there was something called the Jesus movement. There was a Jesus revival, as Time magazine would call it. Time magazine even carried cover stories on the Jesus movement and Jesus people. And all of a sudden, these hippies were coming to know Jesus Christ and to love him and to worship him as their savior. They were having baptisms in the Pacific Ocean. And across America, this great revival happened among the youth of America as they were crossing the line and committing their lives to Jesus. Well, my pastor at that time took a hard stance against the music. Artists like Larry Norman were coming along, and Larry had long blonde hair. He was the original Christian rock and roller. He sang a song that kind of shook some people up, Jesus is a rock that doesn't roll. By the way, it's a great song, you need to listen to it, and if you've got Spotify or something like that, just listen to some Larry Norman, it'll bless you, I promise you, it'll bless you, but my parents, you know, they were convinced maybe our pastor was right, and they didn't want me listening to this, so I, you know, would meet with some friends after I left my job at a real place called the Piggly Wiggly, that's where I worked at, and I would meet my Christian buddies and friends that were also coming to know Jesus, and they were listening to Larry Norman, and so I bought this album, and I hid it for a while, and so I finally played it. Do any of you remember a record player? Not a stereo, but a portable record player, and I asked my parents to listen to this And I wrote the lyrics out, because there were no lyrics inside like they do now, you know. I just wrote the lyrics out, and so finally my dad says, okay, fella, and when he was being affectionate, I was always fella. When I wasn't being affectionate, it was Dennis Everett Clanton, but at that point, he says, okay, fella, the lyrics are good. I don't like the music, but you can listen to that, and so Larry Norman would be blasting in my bedroom when I came home, and I'm so grateful for that, but you see... Jesus was being found, not in the churches, Jesus was being found in these young hippies that were coming to Christ. And then churches began to see something was happening. People were not getting saved in their buildings. People were not getting saved like we thought they should, thought they should coming to our churches. But they were being saved in, in, in Bible studies on the street in the most unusual places. I went to Bible college after I graduated from high school. very conservative Bible college we had to cut our hair above our ear our hair couldn't touch our collars you know we had to wear a tie to class if you were boys you couldn't wear shorts and we lived in Florida okay you couldn't wear shorts at all and it was very strict but what got me was these young people that had been hippies that had crossed the line they loved jesus so much they wanted to study in a bible college that believed the bible was the inspired and infallible word of god and they were coming to the college that i went to chuck was one of those guys became a good friend he was from connecticut he's still a facebook friend today and i hope is listening to the message but you know chuck and i became good friends and i said chuck why would you cut your hair why would you abide by all these rules you know knowing what we know now and Chuck just wanted so much to learn to love Jesus and grow to love Jesus. Well, Chuck and I came to my home in Georgia to visit my family one weekend. I invited him to come up and spend Thanksgiving with us, and my parents fell in love with Jesus. Friends, that may not mean anything to you, but that was the first hippie my daddy ever liked. That was the first hippie my daddy ever loved because he loved Jesus, and it began to change our family. So when people ask me this question today, I often think about this. Where do you find Jesus? You find Jesus not in a building. You find Jesus not in a ministry, not in a program. But you find Jesus in the hearts and the lives of people that love him. That's why wherever we go, we take Jesus with us. Listen to what the scripture says. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents didn't miss him at first. I fear that sometimes we have more trust in the organization of the church than we have in Jesus Christ. I fear sometimes that we have more trust in the buildings of the church and the ministries of church than we have in Jesus Look at what the Bible says. Jesus says to a prosperous church. Jesus says to a successful church. Jesus says to a church that is doing well. And before I read this scripture to you, let me tell you something else that happened. Not long after that, the Jesus movement began to just really blossom. Churches began to open up their doors like they should have done in the first place. Great things were happening. And there was a song that was written, and some of you are going to remember this song. It was called the Church Triumphant Oh, the church triumphant, it's alive and well. Let the anthems ring out. Let the victory swell. For the church triumphant is alive and well. Well, it wasn't long after that. Matter of fact, just a very few short years after that. That suddenly the church was rocked with scandals, with stories that were so shocking that from Pentecostals to Catholics, The world of the church was being rocked as Jesus judged his church because of the scandals and exposed the dirtiness and the darkness that was taking place. You know, we don't like to talk about that, but we need to understand something. God will deal with us about our sins. In his love and in his mercy, it was hard I can't tell you at the tears we cried, I can't tell you at the tears we wept as we watched the things, whether it happened in a a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or whether it happened in the Catholic church, it always brought grief because what it did was it weakened people's faith in Jesus, it weakened people's faith because they're asking in the midst of all this, where is Jesus? Where is Christ? Where is God in all of this? And the church would become a mockery. And yet God never gives up on his church. God never quits dealing with his church because where you find Jesus is you find Jesus in the church. And so Jesus wrote to one of these prosperous churches, one of these well-doing churches. They're doing everything right, but Jesus writes to them. Look with me at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. You've walked away from your first love. Why? Maybe we should ask ourselves this question this morning. Are we as passionately in love with Jesus as we used to be? And if not, why? It's what the Lord asked of us this morning. What's going on with you anyway? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? A Lucifer fall. Underline that in your outlines this morning. A Lucifer fall. Lucifer who wanted to be like God. Lucifer who wanted to be greater than God. Becky and I, when we were visiting the Vatican a number of years ago, were shocked and horrified as, as, and I appreciated the Catholic Church for being so honest to tell us about some of the horrible things that had happened that even popes that had done that figured they were greater than God himself. And as they shared some of these horrible stories with us and I listened, I said, why would you share these stories about the person that you look to as the vicar of Christ? And one of them said to me, Because we can only be free if we confess our sins. Boy, what a powerful statement. And so the Lord says, turn back. Do you know what that word is? Repent. That's what the word repent means. And I I may walk off camera. Can you follow me with the camera here? But you see, the word repent means if I'm going this way, I'm walking this way, and the Lord says, repent, what it means is turn back. It's like when your little boy or little girl wanders away when they're a child, and you go, turn around, and your child, if he's obedient, turns around and comes back. If the child is not obedient, and we've all seen this, the child keeps going in their own stubborn way, and we have to go and get them. And what Jesus has done is he comes to the church, and he says, repent, turn back, recover your dear early love. And then look at this last phrase, no time to waste. Friends, in this COVID crisis, this is not a time to play games with God. But what were you doing when you first gave your heart to Jesus? What caused you to love Jesus so much? Were you reading your Bible? Were you gathering together in small groups and praying together? Were you worshiping the Lord? Did you go to work without having a prayer time? Did you, did you when you first came to Jesus, did you begin to tell your children Bible stories? Did you begin to love them to Christ? One of our young people, one of the young couples who were getting married, as I do with every young couple, I say, first, let's go over your faith story. I want you to basically give me the elevator speech that we talk about here at Woodland. You know, what was your life like before Christ? When did you give your life to Christ? And what's your life been like since you gave your life to Christ? And I will never forget the beautiful young woman looked at me and says, oh, do I have to do that again? And then I knew then her love was growing cold. If there was anything about Rocky, he never got tired of telling you what Jesus did for him. He never got tired of telling you about God's amazing grace. And once I corrected... God began to deal with her own heart, and she began to see, and though they live in another town now, live in Atlanta, Georgia, and she has a great career, and her husband has a great career, and they're doing well, they stay in touch on Facebook. But she credits one of the things is is catching those early warning signs when our love begins to go cold. We know what it's like in a marriage. We know what it's like in a friendship, and we have to rekindle those things. What were you doing at first Bono, or Bono, I always get corrected. I don't know why I say Bono. I'm going to blame it on my southern upbringing, but Bono, the great rock star, do you know who I'm talking about? Bono and his wife were working for six weeks in Africa with AIDS children, children who had AIDS, and his heart was broken, and he, after they flew home and they were back home, he said, God, what about these children? What are you going to do about these children? And Bono records it while he and his wife were praying, he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him and says, Bono, what are you going to do about these children? And then he realized that what God was saying, he wanted to work through him. And so Bono began to use his connections and the influence he had, and he started with, a, with a, a, a racist senator in the United States. You're going to be surprised when I tell you this name, but he started with Strom Thurmond, and Strom Thurmond agreed to be a part, This former senator from South Carolina, and over 16 billion dollars were raised to be able to help and to take care of the children with AIDS in Africa. Friends, you see, the generosity of God flows through you and me. The generosity of God flows through us as we share the good news of Jesus, as we give a cup of cool water in the name of Jesus, as we give a meal in the name of Jesus, when you're asked to to do bags by the bumper so that we can give groceries to the hungry, a few years ago i took out several leaders in our various communities and i asked them all this question where do i find the poor among us where do i find the hurting among us and leader after leader in our community would tell me you know there are no poor among us this is a very affluent we're doing well well, we knew better than that, and so we started getting out, and pretty soon we found them, and, and then my wife was in one apartment complex that we wanted to be a part of helping here in Downriver, and I will never forget what the lady said. She says, if you're going to help us, please don't show up just one time and give people hope and then never return, and so we gave our word that we would not give hope and never return. Friends, Jesus doesn't have a plan B. The church is where Jesus Christ is supposed to be be found not in this building but in your life and in my life that's where Jesus is found that's where people discover who Christ is Jesus answered a woman speaking of poverty speaking of someone that was ostracized because of their race she was a Samaritan woman she was what was known as a a mixed race she was someone that had been divorced several times and was now living with a man that wasn't her husband not the kind of person that religious people like to be around. But Jesus spoke to her and ministered to her, and he said, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. How can people know in a COVID world that there is a God that will give them a new life and a fresh start? Give them forgiveness of their sins. Give them deliverance. Give them healing, no matter where they're from, if they don't hear it from you and me. It's not going to be an angel. It's not going to be a tree. It's going to be you and me. The third thing is, I want to encourage my children's faith in Christ. I want to see my children grow. And when Becky said this morning, Timber Ridge was starting back up and we're going to be out on the tent with our volunteers during the 10 o'clock service next week, I believe. And I'm so excited because parents, you know, parents have been asking, when can we bring our children back? I'm so thankful that parents at Woodland want their children back in Timber Ridge and want them learning and want them growing in faith in Christ. When we're with friends, you know, I often ask them about their children, and I'll ask children about memory verses. I'll ask children about Bible stories. And, and the kids who have been taught, they love to tell us. They love to bring us their children's Bibles. They love to show us what they're learning. Nothing thrills us more when we were having dinner with some Jewish friends. I was moved by how their children knew the Bible stories and how their parents had been careful to teach them. Friends, hear me this morning. It can be so tempting like the Brits say. It can be so tempting like Europeans say that on a Sunday morning, you just deserve a big breakfast in bed. On a Sunday morning, you deserve a cuddle. On Sunday morning, you deserve to read the newspaper all day. On Sunday morning, you just deserve to lay around all day. Friends, Sunday morning is the day the Lord has made and said if we would gather in his name to worship him, then everything else would go well with us throughout the week. Do you think America has gotten healthier? Do you think America has gotten better because there has been a drop-off in the last 30 years in people gathering for morning worship? Nothing is more important than us gathering together to worship him. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day, and then they began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. So my question to you this morning question to you is, do you know where your children are? Do you know where they are when they're three years old? Do you know where they are when they're four years old and five years old? By the time they're six years old, suddenly their mind begins to dial back a little bit. And those early days, they learned so quickly. They learn. They learn language. They learn colors. They learn communication. They learn nonverbal skills. It's why we had would read to our children every day, even when they were babies. I would read to them. I would read to them. Becky would read. We would pray with them, because we wanted them being soaked and saturated in the Word of God. It was important. So that as they become teenagers, that all of a sudden they're inner directed rather than peer directed. And how many times has parents come to us or come to our youth pastors here at Woodland and and said, My kid is doing this at sixteen or seventeen, but that child has never been soaked. That child has never been in church. And all of a sudden that child begins to wonder and rebel because they've never had that childhood experience. Let me give you and I didn't get to share this in the first service, but I went to the hospital to pray with a young man who had been injured in a very serious accident. His back was broken. He'd been talking to me about faith. He had not given his heart to Jesus Christ yet. When his mother found out I was coming to see him, she stopped me at the hospital and says, I do not want you going in to see my son. She's told me, we're a member of this denomination. He is saved. Well, he wasn't living for the Lord. He told me he wasn't living for the Lord. He told me he didn't believe in God. And I, I said to her very politely, I says, "Ma'am." Your son has told me he doesn't believe in God. He's not, he's talking to me. I didn't approach him. He's talking to me. He's coming to me. At least let me go. No! Friends, listen to me. When your confidence is in a building or a denomination rather than in Jesus, you do not know where your children's faith is at. You and I are given the responsibility for raising our children. If you don't raise your children, somebody else will. And it's important that we are about the Father's business. You say, well, he was Jesus. Mary and Joseph didn't have anything to worry about. Oh, yes, they did. Mary and Joseph had a lot to worry about because God, the Father, had trusted Mary and Joseph to take care of the boy Jesus. Get it? You see, God had trusted them. It was their responsibility to know where Jesus was at. But what's important about this story is that Jesus was about his father's business because at 13, among the Jewish people, a boy becomes a man, and he assumes manly responsibilities. Jesus was the Passover lamb. Do you remember I told you how important it was to recognize what this feast was? He said, Jesus suddenly was aware as a boy what he was here for. He knew what he must do. So my final question this morning is, do you know what you must do? Do you know what the must in your life are? Say that word with me, must. Let's try it again, Must. You know, it's not a pleasant sounding word is it It sounds like musky, musty. But the must, it in, it conveys a sense of urgency. As a matter of fact, it's only used about Jesus three times in the book of Luke. Look with me at this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Remember, this is what he said to his parents. He's going to be the Passover lamb. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, Jesus was going to preach the gospel everywhere. Uh, look at this. The son of man must suffer many terrible things. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead Jesus knew what he must do look at me right here now please do you know what you are called to do with your life do you know what the must are in your life do you know why God has you here It's the question so many young people are asking themselves. Sometimes it's the question so many others are asking themselves. It's the question that I prayed with people in this altar about. I prayed in my study. I prayed in Starbucks and Big Bear. People wanting to know, what must I do with my life? Well, the first thing that Jesus says is, you must be born again. If you would look with me at John chapter 3 and verse 7. And to be born again is to trust that Jesus Christ Christ paid the price for your sins at Calvary, that when Jesus shed his blood, it was enough. Yesterday, I shared with the congregation that was here for Rocky's funeral that the reason that Rocky and that I and that you can have a confidence that we're going to stand before the Lord is not because of any good works we've done. If Rocky or I, either one had to say, Lord, I deserve to get in heaven because I fed the hungry. Lord, because I clothed the sick, you know, healed the sick or clothed the naked. If we get in there, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Some will even say to him, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, it's not your works. It's not how good you are. It's do you trust in Jesus to completely save you from your sins. Yesterday after the funeral, I had the unique conversation to sit down with someone afterwards and just to say to them, if there's any benefit that your upbringing had was that you learned you could not keep the Ten Commandments. And so in not being able to keep the Ten Commandments, you have to lean upon what Jesus Christ did for you because there are times when we're inconsistent. And if you say, I'm not inconsistent, then you've just been inconsistent. The hymn writer was right. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You must be born again, and only the Holy Spirit can change our lives. Secondly, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look at that. Everything is within you. You must love the Lord your God. And occasionally people, they don't ask it cattily. They don't ask it sarcastically. But they have asked me, they says, how can you love God that you can't see? I said, it's a good question. I remember the first time I laid eyes on Becky. I fell in love with Becky first time I laid eyes on her. She was a baby sitting in her mama's lap. She had a little curl on her head, and her mama would brush that curl, and even as a little boy, I looked at her, and I knew I loved her. I had no idea she'd be my wife later on in life, but you know, I loved her. I could see her, and then one day, I showed up to preach a service for her dad, and guess who walked at the door and opened the door, and I went, hey, Bobo, there's a picnic basket. I saw her. I fell in love with her all over again. How do you love God that you can't see? I love what Archbishop Michael Ramsey said in Great Britain. He said, In God, there is no unchrist likeness at all. In God, there is no unchrist likeness at all. That's why God gave us the Gospels. Because when you read the Gospels, you see what God is like. When you read the Gospels, you know what God is like. When you read the Gospels, you see his love, you see his mercy, you see his power, you see his care. You see him as the shepherd that will leave the 99 and go after the one. God will never give up on you, but don't you give up on God's. I love that story. You probably heard it, but I love telling it again. Little boy is coloring a picture in class, and as the rest of the class is coloring their pictures and drawing pictures, the teacher walks around and says, what are you drawing? One little girl says, I'm drawing a tree. Another little boy says, I'm drawing a mountain. She comes to the boy, and he says, I'm drawing God. And the teacher looks at the little boy and says, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. And he just looks up at her and says, when I'm finished, they will You see, there's no plan B. When God wants to reveal Jesus in our world today, he reveals him not through this building, but he reveals them through people like you and me. And that's why Jesus says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So I say to my friends, and I say to you, so please listen. If you don't know what God looks like, look at the church. Don't look at the scandals, but look at people you know who love Jesus. I don't do it anymore, but we had children in the band. And we would go to the band sometimes, and I would look at Becky and I would say, we can't blame Beethoven for this. We can't blame Bach for this. And there, the screeching with the woodwinds or the flattened note or the sharp note with the trumpet, and you could see the band director smiling even though he knew the music was flawed because for some people out there, they would have never known what Beethoven or Bach sounded like if it wasn't for that junior high school band or that high school band, and friends, there are people that are going to never know what Jesus is like if you don't share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Would you stand with me today and let me pray with you before we go home. I love you Jesus. And I'm so thankful that in a COVID world you can still be found by people who seek you. I'm so thankful that In churches like Woodland and so many other wonderful congregations in our community, you can still be found. You can be found at Ford and GM and Chrysler. You can be found in the truck lines. You can be found in high school classrooms and university classrooms. Where passionate followers of Jesus Christ come in. You were found in people that, in my childhood and teenage years, people didn't think you could ever be found there. But in those hippies, Lord, today many whom I know are pastors and missionaries, doctors and nurses, musicians. Jesus, somebody showed them you. Somebody was a living Bible to them. And they crossed the line and gave their heart to you. You know, people here are praying right now. But if you're listening online today, and maybe you've even wondered why you've stayed this far, But Jesus can be found right now in your car, your living room. And there's a reason you're still watching and listening right now. The Holy Spirit is touching your heart. If you feel something inside, you want to give your heart to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. I promise you, you wouldn't want to do this if it wasn't the Holy Spirit at work in you. That woman who prevented me from going in to see her son, She didn't understand. It's not a denomination that saves you. I'm not asking you to join Woodland Church. I'm asking you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you if you're Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, I could care less. Or whether you're Jewish, Muslim, or Hindu, or atheist, I could care less. What I do care about is have you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. If you trusted him to forgive you of your sins. Rocky Donahue said nothing could compare. Even being a pro football player, nothing could compare to the night he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And the way you do that is simply by saying, Lord, forgive me. I believe in you. I trust in you. So if you're ready to do that, would you pray with me right now? And if you're here in this sanctuary and you haven't done that, you can pray with me as well. And just pray quietly. Say, Heavenly Father, I love you. I don't even understand why I love you. I can't see you. But I've learned enough about Jesus even in this message today to know that you love me. And to know that you For the Passover lamb, you were sacrificed for my sins at Calvary. But on the third day, you were raised again. And so now I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, be merciful to me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And make me a brand new person. As much as I know how, I give myself to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Man. And if you did that, that's exactly what Christ did for you. Now, let me tell you one more story. I want you to listen. Don't go anywhere yet. Sometime back, a man in our church came to me. God had so touched him. He was moved by this church's desire to touch those that maybe other people weren't touching. And he said to me, Pastor, you think it would be okay if, since Jesus He says, the Bible talks about so many prostitutes coming to know Jesus under his ministry. If I just went and paid prostitutes and invited them to come to church. And I said, no, I don't think that's wise. I didn't want him to get arrested. His heart was in the right place. I said, but invite. Just, you know, if you know people like that, invite them to come. It wasn't long afterwards, a beautiful young woman came to this church. She crossed the line gave her heart to Jesus, was radically born again. I mean, total change in her life. Today, she's married, lives in another city, she's raised in a wonderful family, all because somebody carried the good news of Jesus to them. Now that you've accepted Christ, you be sure and share how good God is. You share that he loves you. Because where can Jesus be found? Not in the perfect orchestra, but in people like you and me, however flawed we are. You don't want me to play Beethoven, but I can show you what I do know about Jesus Christ, and you can too. God bless you. I love you. I promise I'm going to be praying for you this week. If you will email me here at Woodland, I have something I'd love to give you and to send you as well. So let me bless you as I bless the congregation that's here today. Family, thank you so much for being here today. I love you. And now just receive this blessing from the Lord, from the word of God. May the good Father in heaven who loves you and watches over you, the Father who never sleeps nor slumber, but all his ways cares for you, may he bless you with the opportunity to share your story of faith with someone this week, and may people find Jesus Christ living and shining brightly in your life. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.